Well, good morning. Hey, do me a favor and let's uh, let's formally welcome Brooks on on staff this morning. Did a great job leading leading this morning. Hey, my name's Chris. I'm uh, one of the pastors here. Our lead pastor, uh, Jerry, Pastor Jerry Dingmore, is out of town this morning, so I get the pleasure of being with you. Aren't you all just so pleased that I'm here? Yes. Hey, there it is. Thank you, Claire. I appreciate that. Well, hey, so uh, I love football season. Absolutely love football season. Yesterday was, was a great day for many uh, and probably a sad day for some. Uh, but one of the things that I, I just love about football season is just the 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 connection, the camaraderie, and of course the competition. And I can remember early in uh, my marriage, my wife and I have been married now for 10 years, I can remember early in, in our marriage that I would tell her, probably on Thursday afternoon, evening, and say, hey, just FYI, if you have any weekend plans, cancel them, because Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, I'm watching football, because I love it from high school to pro, I'm all about it. And, and that, as you can probably guess, uh, ended with me not watching as much, fo- much football as I really wanted to, but there was certainly some discussion in there, and I thought I had a, a, you know, a peg to stand on about how much football I could watch. I even had some friends, you know, they, they committed a sin. They planned a wedding on the Saturday of the Georgia-Florida game, right smack dab in the middle. So I found myself in the, the lobby just a few times during that reception uh, watching the game, and talking to a bunch of people who I didn't know because, you know, go dogs, right? So, uh, but one of the things that I don't love about football is this thing of, uh, I think it's been around for a while, but it's been heightened with our media recently, uh, smack talk. Gosh, dog, these people talk so much junk. And what's funny to me is I, I'm all about talking junk. If you ever played basketball with me, I talk junk. Like, I get it. But here's what I don't get. In, in the, the day and age that we live today, what normally you find is the team or the player that likes to go out on that limb and say, man, we finna smack these dudes, blah, 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 blah. That team normally loses, right? Because of several things. First off, they've just given the opposing team just that much more fuel. You see it every season. The team at the end of the season was, oh, man, we're ready for this, this team. And they put pictures in their, their weight room. And all season, these guys are just pumping iron out there, just ready to knock somebody out because somebody said something that they couldn't back up. I, I'm a little bit of an old soul. And in football, I go, man, why don't you just let your pads speak for themselves and, and, and put that out there. But we like to talk in sports sometimes. We like to talk a little too much, and and we often see that talking about action doesn't directly turn into taking action. Like, we we often see that just because I'm going to talk about the actions that are going to happen, that does not always turn into an action step that was actually taken. As Amy and I uh, moved on in our relationship and got older, we we had kids, and when we first started having kids, we, we had the discussion of, okay, what are some of the rules in our household for, for, for our kids? Because we want to make sure that we raise them well, in, in, you know, abiding by the Lord and, and seeking after Him. And our number one rule, there's a lot of rules, but our number one rule for Micah and Maggie is no lying. No lying. I can deal with a lot of things. I can, I can deal with a lot of mistakes. I can deal with a lot of intentional bonehead decisions. I, I can deal with a lot of just bad things, bad grades, whatever. But if you lie to me, how can I ever help you? How can I be the person that you need me to be to help 
you walk through these things in life if you lie to them. We say, hey, you're going to get in trouble either way, but if you lie, your life is over as you know it. Right? Like, I mean, just, just, just spit it truth. We'll work through it. We'll go through it. But if you lie to me, you know, I'm going to change your name and it's over. Like, just life. And, and I think some of our reasons for standing really strong on lies is because it comes straight from Scripture. Lies are how the enemy first used our deceitful hearts against us. If you look back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 4, this is after God has told Adam and Eve, don't eat from the tree, and the serpent comes to them and says, but, but the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. You, that, that, it's really not that bad. Go ahead and eat from that tree. He tells them this lie, and they buy in to it. And immediately go, well, you know, it's probably not that bad. And we found out that it was that bad. Lying is Satan's native tongue. Speaking of lies, Jesus says this in John chapter 8, verse 44. He says, you belong to your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the father of lies. When we lie to someone, our speech does not align with our actions, and it reveals the true nature of our heart. When we lie to someone, it's saying one thing and doing something very opposite of that. And, and I just, I think Scripture has a lot to say about lying. The, the title of my sermon today if you're taking notes, is walking the talk. Walking the talk. Because our, our big fat mouth gets us in trouble. Talk doesn't match up with our walk. When, 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 our, when our speech and our actions do not align with each other, we find ourselves getting in trouble. And I'm not going to necessarily focus on lying. A, a pastor named Craig Rochelle uh, did a similar series to ours about a year ago, and he kind of focused on that. So if you, if you want more on lying, you can look at that. But I find it very interesting on how lying is very similar to how saying one thing and doing another kind of line up. I mean, if, if you look at our actions, and I'm not saying that when we, when we say one thing and do another, we're intentionally lying. That doesn't always happen, but there's certainly a, a level of that. So what I want to speak about this morning is, is how Jesus has called us and modeled for us walking the talk. Because it's one thing to talk about it, and it's one thing to say you love Jesus and say you're invested in His church and you love His people and you want to go out in the community and share the gospel and be there. And it's, it's, it's one thing to say all of that. It's a completely different thing to live it out. Here's what I mean. As a pastor, when I prepare a message, uh, one, one of the key questions that I always try to ask myself, and sometimes the answer hurts my feelings, is am I following the same instruction that God is leading me to instruct his, she his sheep with? Am I following the same leading that he's called me to give to you? And sometimes that, that's just a tough question to answer. Sometimes I look at my wife and I say, Amy, when I, when I teach this message, does my life align with these truths? And sometimes she goes, you know, you're missing the mark right here. And then I cry. But it's kind of, I think sometimes we, we get in this boat and we look at pastors and 
we, they get up here and they, they preach these messages and we go to question, we go, are they living the truth? And I want to tell you that my goal every single time I, I speak and Pastor Jerry's goal and Ben and Brooks is every time that we speak the truth of God, we are looking to live out that truth with our actions. Every single time. We don't, we don't want to live by this age-old adage that those that can't do teach. I don't want to live by that. I want to live in the, in the adage of God's grace and that I'm looking to follow every single thing that he puts in front of me by his word. It's actually one of the greatest things that I, that I love about our staff is that we, we, we try very hard not to say one thing and do another. And I think in many ways, Pastor Jerry sets that tone for us. I remember my first week, really my first month coming here from Atlanta. I, I moved here from a church that's not portable at the time. As many of you know, we were portable. We're meeting in a school. Jerry tells me, like Thursday before the Sunday, the couple days preceding Sunday, he says, All right, I'm going to need you at Tattnall Square Academy. Ah, uh, 5.30? I said, squeeze me, what? Like 5.30? That's nighttime, right? And so uh, I'm thinking, all right, sure. You know, keep in mind at that point, my, uh, my child was not even born yet. He was still 14 or, or so days away from being born. So I, I get up to the church at 5.30, fully expecting to be uh, just one of a few leaders. And here is something that shell-shocked me. Is there the lead pastor of the church is there at 5.30 in the morning. Actually, if you can ask Colton, his son, he's probably there at 5 a.m. Unlocking the building. Doing all sorts of preparation work for the leaders to be there. Fast forward a few weeks. I think we're probably about a month in at this point. I show up at 5.30 again, and it had rained really hard the, the couple days preceding Sunday, and I walk in, and here's Jerry with a mop cleaning up the floor, mopping the floor, and I look at this, this, this picture, and I go, that's what I'm talking about. So that's servant leadership, because I, I know a lot of pastors. I got a lot of friends. My dad was in pastoral ministry for a long time, and there's a lot of pastors out there they would say, hey, you, go clean up that. I got sermon to worry about. But here's Jerry going, no, 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 no. If I ain't learned it by Sunday morning, I probably ain't learned it anyway. But I'm going to mop the floor. I'm going I'm to make a way. And so I think as, as Christ's followers, we're not just taught to know Scripture. We're not just taught to keep our head buried in a book. And when someone asks us a theological question, that we can say, oh, yeah, I know the answer to that. I know, I know this, or I know that term, or this, this big word, this $5 word. He's called us to walk as He has instructed. And for our walk and our talk to be aligned, we need something. So if you have your Bibles this morning, we're going to be in Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. We're going to be looking at a very familiar story. Most of you have probably heard this story, but what I found interesting about this story is I was, as I was studying for today is that I never really realized that this story of the Good Samaritan came on the, uh, the backside of Jesus sending out His disciples. He sent out His disciples to go disciple, to go make disciples and, and let people know about the Messiah. And on the, the heels of that, they had just gotten back. Here's this interaction uh, with Jesus and a lawyer that we're going to see in Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 25, it says, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, 
Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replies back to him, what is, what is written in the law? How do you read it? The lawyer answers, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and all your strength, with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he says to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, well, you know, who is my neighbor? Jesus replies, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down in the road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side of the road, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was and when he saw him, he had compassion. And he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of this man. Whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. And Jesus looks at him and says, Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? The lawyer replies, the one who showed mercy. And Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. So what I want to do is I kind of want to walk through this text, just kind of break it down for us, and then I want to give us some bottom lines to take away for this morning. So this very intelligent man, this lawyer, comes up to Jesus. And it says he came to test him. He came to challenge him. The lawyer comes to Jesus and confidently believes that he knows more than the soon-to-be Savior of the world. How often do we live our lives as if we know more than Jesus? I mean, think about the lawyer right here. He's coming to the soon-to-be Savior of the world, and he's trying to ask him a question that's going to stump him because he believes he knows better. How often does our lives do the same thing to Jesus? Think about the decisions that you make in your, in your life with you and your family's future. Think about the job changes, moving, business endeavors, where to send your kids to school, what shows to watch, or, or what, better yet, what hobbies to invest in, or your leisure time. How do we spend our, our, our downtime? All of these things play into a, a question of do we believe Jesus has the answers, or do we believe that we have the answers? When we seek the Lord for something, how often are we coming to Him with open hands? Saying, God, this is the desire of my heart, but if it isn't yours, I submit and release the desire. So Jesus comes back into this conversation with the lawyer, and the lawyer asks an important question. A question that mankind has asked since really its inception, to our knowledge. What should I do to inherit eternal life? Now Jesus being a fully aware uh, of who uh, he is talking to, states back him and says, well, you know, what's the law? What does the law say about inheriting eternal life? And the lawyer replies with just a, 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 a fantastic Jewish quote, and he quotes the Shema, which is out of Deuteronomy chapter 6. And he quotes this thing that Jesus 
Families would have recited and they would have said over their families every single day, oftentimes morning and night. And he says, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And what Jesus' reply is saying is, what is in, what is the, what is in the law? The, the Jewish lawyer would have known right then that what Jesus is actually trying to tell him is that you're never going to be able to keep that law. See, what's in the law means you have to keep that law perfectly. If you answer this correctly and you do these things, if you do this and you will live, you have to, you have to keep the entire law perfectly. And that's how you inherit eternal life. Don't miss the mark. No redos. There's no start over button. And Jesus makes it really clear to this lawyer that if you do those things, yeah, just follow the Shema every single day with every single thought, with every single move in your life. Follow it perfectly and you will inherit eternal life. And the lawyer, I can only imagine in that moment, is going, well, junk. I don't know if I can do that. And, and Scripture kind of even leads, it to, leads us to believe this. Is in verse 21, it says, but he desiring to justify himself. He understands that he's not justified. He knows that he can't do it. So desiring to justify himself, he asks, well, who's my neighbor then? Jesus? So Jesus starts telling the story. The main character reveals the fallen nature of mankind to us. We see this man right here who's just kind of going about his business, going about his normal routine. And what happens? He's robbed, he's beaten, and left for dead. And this, this picture right here that Jesus is giving us maps out for mankind our exact nature and imprint. We have this idea somehow that mankind is good, but right here Jesus is showing us that no, no, no. See, there may be some of us that are because of circumstances and, and the way raised on this we may be different and some of us may be prone to this sin or that sin but at the end of the day we're all broken like we're all sinners we're we're all placed in the same category and this main character paints the picture starting it off reveals the fallen nature of all of mankind and then the next two guys come along as the as the man lies there beaten and helpless the priest and the, the Levite come by. Now these are holy guys. These are dudes that would have been, you know, very prominent in, in the community. They would have known all of the right theological questions and answers. They, they would have been the, the people that oftentimes the community looks to on how to follow God and what's the best way to serve Him and how, how do we connect with God. And here this priest and this Levite see the man and make a conscious decision to avoid the entire interaction and walk on the other side of the road. They knew all the right answers. They knew how to talk the talk. But right here, they were not walking the walk. James says that true religion is helping the widows and the orphans. Help those who are at a disadvantage in helping themselves. And here in the priest and the Levite, don't take that opportunity. See, 
the problem isn't with religion. Religion is, is primarily just a structure of defined parameters that people of faith function in. That's just what religion is. This is what we say we believe. There's doctrines and there's things. This, this is how we believe. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. The problem is when we try to make religion the solution. The problem is because the only resolution that can ever be found to life's issues and this issue of eternal life and this issue of helping mankind and this issue of being selfless, the only solution to that is Jesus and His love. It's not enough to just know the truth and to speak the truth. Our walk must align with our talk. The things that we say, the, the, the things that come out of our mouth, must be in some way aligned directly to the way that we walk in our life. Scripture says, out of the mouth the heart speaks. Well, out of your actions, the heart speaks as well. You can tell me one thing all day, but if you never back that up by being there for me, like think about, think about being a friend. My, my mom used to say, Chris, if you want to make friends, you got to be a friend. Over and over and over and over and over again, I used to hear it. Well, if I'm never a friend to someone, if I'm never kind, if I'm never patient, if I never listen, if I never invest into them, why would I ever expect anyone to ever invest back into me? Oh, but I want friends, I want friends, I want friends, but then I never do anything else in my walk, anything else in those relationships to support the statement of I want friends. Generally speaking, the uh, Southeast United States has an overwhelming number of people who profess faith in Christ. And Macon has a large uh, number of churches and missional outreaches, but so often in our city we see people of religion and not people of love. Evidences. People of religion are oftentimes quick to judge. When a person of religion hears of someone who maybe had a lapse in judgment or maybe had a, a struggling time in their life, you know what they look to do? That, that person looks to first judge. Or maybe they look to compare. Or as many of you know in this city, they look to talk about it. It's a little word called gossip. That doesn't happen at all in making. That's what a person of religion does. They, they, they see a broken person, and instead of looking to help them, they cross on the other side of the road and avoid the situation completely. Or they cross along the side of the road and they go, hey, look at that dude. That dude got messed up. That must have been his fault. That must, he, he was in the wrong place. At the wrong, he made the wrong decisions. But see, you know what a person of love does? A person of love bends down and helps the person who maybe made a bad decision or was in the wrong place at the wrong time. They, they, they look to, to pray for the person. They look to seek help for the person. They go to shut down others that want to belittle the person. They stand for the person who cannot stand on their own. And, and, and our little church society, not our church specifically, but church society in America, a person of religion looks for the next point of drama. And they look to highlight it. Oh, did you hear about that? Oh, wait, is that church doing okay? Because I heard. You know, 
I don't know if they've had any baptisms in forever. Can you believe this person did that? Can you believe this person makes this much or doesn't make this much? Can you, can you believe it? But a person of love looks to unite Christ's church and always seeks to serve and love and never looks to divide his sheep. People who follow Jesus desire for their actions and their speech to point people back to the cross. That's it. We want to point people back to the author and the founder and the perfecter of our faith because that's where healing comes from. Let's not be people of religion. Let's be people of love. Lastly, the the Samaritan guy. We saw the priest. We saw the Levite. The Samaritan guy comes along and cares for the man. Now the Samaritan guy, if you know anything about biblical history or history in general, the Samaritans and the Jews did not get along. We're kind of the outcasts. And right here, Jesus hits a big issue, especially an issue in our culture today. He hits this issue of race. Right here, he goes, look, it doesn't matter about our race. It doesn't matter what the things that separate us. And the lawyer would have immediately recognized this. And he would have immediately recognized the dichotomy that Jesus is teaching from. And Jesus is teaching it as, as, as if it's normal, as if this is a thing. Look, man, the Samaritan walking about his way would have had no right, would have had, would, no one would have even questioned him if he just kept walking. But yet the Samaritan, the one who, the, the Jewish lawyer won't even say his name because Jesus looks back at him and says, hey, who's the, one who had, uh, who's the one who was the neighbor? And the lawyer says, oh, the one who had mercy. He won't even say, oh, it's the Samaritan guy. It's the one who had mercy. No matter the things that divide us in this world, what we need to understand is that Jesus is the bridge. Jesus is the bridge to healing. Jesus is the bridge to reconciliation. He's the bridge to redemption. And he came so that we may have life. Not we as in just people in this building, but we as in humankind. And we can't let different skin color, we can't let where you were born, what language you speak, socioeconomic status, we can't let those things separate us from the biggest picture that that Jesus wants us to know is that Jesus came and died for all. Stretched his arms wide and did it. So the the moral, as I start to kind of wrap up this morning, the moral of Jesus' story is, is really twofold. The first thing that I hope we take away from this story this morning is that without Jesus there is no love. Without Jesus there is no love. We are all fallen and our nature is twisted and we are very different from each other. We are just like that beaten man on the side of the road who needs help. Needs redemption. And to take it even one step further, we're we're the men who drove the nails into Jesus' hands and feet. We're the women who drove the nails into Jesus' hands and feet. But God, rich in His mercy, sent His Son knowing that we would deny Him. Knowing that we would be the people that would spit and scoff in His face. 
Jesus takes our punishment and defeats sin once and for all. And in Christ, we experience love. 1 John 4.19 says this, We love because He first loved us. Everything we know about love can be found right here in Christ. And when we experience His true love, then we start getting a picture of what it means to love. Think about when you're, when you're trying to teach someone something. If they've never seen it before, you can explain it really well. You can try to reenact it. You can even point to places. But if they've never actually seen what you're talking about, they, they never have a full picture of what you're explaining. And then we have this interaction with Jesus. And then we, we, we finally get to see, oh my gosh, that is what love looks like. That's what love feels like. That's what love is supposed to be. Being able to walk the talk of Jesus starts with knowing Jesus. Being able to be like the Samaritan man and see the person on the side of the road and being able to bend down and help this person and give up wages and, and, and give up day's work and give up all of your time and energy and all of these things. I'm not saying that you can't fully do it without Jesus, but I'm saying you'll never fully understand and fully appreciate that person without Jesus. Because Jesus teaches us what love is. Without Jesus, there is no love. My second thing is in Christ Jesus, we are given a right standing before God. And we are propelled in love for God and others by the new power of His Spirit in us. I think one of the issues sometimes of our culture and of church world, Christendom, that we gather in places and we hold very highly knowledge. And I'm not trying to diminish knowledge because, you know, I, I love learning more about who God is. I love reading systematic theology books and, and diving into Scripture and knowing the Greek and the Hebrew and, and all that stuff is very important. But there's this <clears throat> meme out there that some of you may have seen and it's this guy walking along the side of the road He's got his head buried in a systematic theology book, which is basically a book that just gives a, a system of how, how, do, how do we know God. And it walks through Scripture, and it gives ways of how, how we know the character of God and the nature. And he's got his head buried in this book as he's walking by hurting and broken people. Now, how much did he take that knowledge of who God is and apply it to the world? Very little. It's important to know who God is, but it's also important to take the knowledge of who God is and see how He served and apply that to our life. Because it's one thing to profess faith in Christ. Oh, I love Jesus. Yeah, man, I've been going to church for so and so years. It's a complete other thing to walk in that truth. It's a complete other thing to, to recognize 
that you're a messy, broken person and the only way you can be cleaned up, the only way you can be adopted and redeemed is through Christ. And because we're in Christ, I spoke, to this, I spoke about this on Tuesday night with our young adults, because we are in Christ, we have the ability to stand for Him in this world because we're seated in Christ. Scripture says that He's seated at the right hand of the throne of the Father. In Ephesians 2, it says, we are seated with Him. In Christ, we've been given all the authority, all the power to walk for Him in this world. And sometimes we just got to admit the truth. Sometimes we just, we just got to admit the truth that maybe we haven't been looking to walk with Him. Maybe we haven't been looking to ask the tough questions because the tough answer stinks. I don't always enjoy asking my wife, how am I leading in the household? How am I leading in our marriage? How's my language? How am I leading as a pastor? How am I leading as a friend in this situation? I'm not always excited about that question. But you know what I am excited about? I am excited that God did a new work in me. He made me a new creation. And through the process of following after Him and seeking after Him, I, I want my walk to look a lot more like my talk. And through that process, He's going to give me the strength to overcome. He's going to give me the power to get rid of addictions. He's going to give me the things in my life that I need to follow after Him. He's going to give me the grace and the mercy when I see someone in need to help them. Because I don't always want to help them but He's going to walk us through these things. And what it takes from us is just a little step of faith. So as I wrap up this morning, there's there's really kind of two things that I want us to to think about. Maybe you're in here this morning and you're saying, you know, I I don't know that I've ever felt that that love of Christ. I've never walked with Him Daily, and I've never felt his arms around me. And I don't know that I've ever put my faith in, in Jesus. Next week, we have a, a baptism service. And baptism is just a symbolic representation of someone putting their faith in Christ. And we love to celebrate those people. But let, let me encourage you this morning, if, if you're that person, maybe you've been coming to church your whole life, and you've just never made that step. Church has just been something you did. It was just kind of this ritual. It was something maybe you just did to, you know, please people, or, you know, you just like the atmospheres, or, or whatever. Let me encourage you this morning that it doesn't matter how long you've been walking the other side of the road. Jesus is ready with open arms saying, come on home. Jesus is saying, I've got the gift of life for you. What must you do to inherit eternal life? The answer is repent and and believe. Repent and believe and follow me. And so maybe that's what you need to do this morning. Just put your faith in Jesus. Maybe there's some of us in here this morning that I think I find myself in this boat. Is I just need to repent. Because I turn a blind eye so often to the man on the road. Although I know the truth of God, I know who He is, I know that His love is the real thing, I know all the songs that we sing, all the declarations that we make, I know Him. I believe Him fully in my life. 
But sometimes my flesh wins the small battle. So all I've got to do is repent and say, God, give me the strength because you've won the war. Maybe you find yourself in that boat this morning of just repentance. I think that word sometimes brings a connotation that we just do it once. We should be a people that live a life of repentance. Because until we get to heaven, we're probably messing up a lot. Because we're not sinless once we're in Christ. Hopefully, just over time, we just sin less. And so we got two decisions this morning. Maybe, maybe there's someone in here who needs to repent and put faith in Christ. And the other one who, maybe just need to repent. So we're going to sing a few more songs. It's, it's not going to be that, that typical of an ending. I want us to kind of respond and worship. And I want you to deal with whatever God's doing in your hearts on your own way. We'll have the altar open. So if you want to come up here and pray, you want to grab a friend and just say, hey, come pray with me. Nah, I ain't telling you what you're about. Just pray with me. That's cool too. We have some elders in the room. If you need to talk to, to someone, pull one of them aside. Pull me aside. Because the most important thing this morning is that we don't leave this room with just an acknowledgement of talking about Christ. But we leave this room in a full-fledged commitment of followers of Christ. I'm going to walk with Jesus every single day. And every time I have a decision, I'm, I'm hopefully in Christ going to follow His will and His way and not the way of my flesh. Let me pray for us. We'll sing a song and respond. God, I ask that this morning that you'll deal with us, that you'll allow us to have faith in you, that you'll allow us to put our trust and our hope and our entire life in your hands. That God, if there's any area in our life that we need to, we need to turn from, we need to set down at the cross, You'll give us the freedom and the liberty and the strength to do so. Allow us to stand on you, solid rock. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen.
you guys can be seated. You guys can be seated. A few, uh, a few weeks ago, we sent an email out to the, the church. I'm just saying, hey, you know, summer can be kind of tough. Uh, we're a little bit behind. We'd love for you to try to help us make that up so we can push forward and have a, have a healthy fall. And I just wanted to say, for those of you that maybe didn't get the email or whatever, we definitely made the goal, and we appreciate your, your faithful giving. We said probably even a few weeks before that, it costs about 8500 bucks a week to, to just kind of run the church and, and kind of keep the doors open and, and do all the ministry that we do. And I want to tell you that we want to be great stewards of that money. Our goal is to always ask the question of how is this money going to greater the kingdom of God? How, how can we bring people in and reach them and, and engage them and have an, an, an irresistible environments to allow them to connect with Jesus? And that's, that's kind of what our, what our goal is with everything that we do is we want to point people to the cross. And so I want to thank you, uh, Piedmont Church home people, members, folks that call this place home. Just thank you for your continued giving not, not to the church, not to the staff, but to God. Thank you for always putting him first. Let me pray for us, and uh, I've got a few announcements for you. God, we thank you for these tithes and offerings. We'll ask that you'll, you'll lead us in how to use them, that they'll bring you joy and honor and blessings, that we'll be good stewards of the blessings that you have bestowed upon us. We thank you for who you are and what your son means to us. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen. All right, as, uh, as we continue to take up the offering, I, just, I have a few announcements for you this morning. Uh, as you walked in, you should have got a bulletin. There's a lot of cool things going on in the life of the church. Uh, like I said earlier, we've got baptisms next Sunday. And so if you know of someone who's put, put their faith in Christ recently, um, or maybe you did it this morning and you want to come forward and follow that up with Believer's Baptism, you can go on our, our website, piedmontchurch.net, and there's a link on there to, to kind of set up a conversation with us. Or you can try to talk to us after the service this morning. So we'd love for you to, to connect with us that way. Also, uh, beginning the end of the month, September 26th, I believe, is our launch date. We're calling the Midweek Gathering. For five weeks, we're going to gather together on Wednesday nights. Uh, we'll have dinner together. We'll have a time of Bible study led by Pastor Jerry. It'll be about from 540 to 7 o'clock. We'll also have programming for All Stars and Treehouse, which is our children's ministry and our nursery. Uh, we have a, a sign-up online for that, for the food aspect of it. It's five bucks a person. We've also got a menu that you can look at as well. It would be a great time for you to be here. We're going to walk through the Sermon on the Mount for five weeks and just kind of break it up. And it's going to be a great time. A Bible study will be in this room together. So if you've got five weeks and you've got time to come here uh, and, and, and open the Word of God together, we'd love for you to be here. Bring a friend. It'll be a great opportunity and environment to just connect very casual, uh, and so come be with us on those five nights. And if you can't make all five, come, come with us on one. You know, just be here that, that evening. So a lot of other cool things going on. The director's coming out soon, uh, for those of you that have been inquiring about that. Uh, so Piedmont, we love you. Have a great week, guys. Go walk the talk. <laughs>